AVXL episode 187 was recorded on July 14th, 2022. Netflix brings spatial audio to all the stereo gear. We got a QD OLED TV battle, Samsung's S95B versus Sony's A95K. Sonos has de-chuffed the ray, we hear, and high-end audio? Well, let's talk about restoring it. All that and so much more, and do us a favor, email ask at avxl.com if you have a question for us. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your patronage, your monthly contributions, you, you, you listening right now, you make this show possible. Thank you. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Well, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And uh, it has been hot. There has been mayhem. I uh, I think I finally trashed my beloved 15-year-old broadcasting headset that I record this podcast on. So Aww. if you're listening, and it looks like I'm staring oddly into the distance while unfocused, uh, I probably am. But... Uh, <laughs> We've been having some overcast mornings that I have begun to really appreciate because when it burns off, the temperatures definitely climb. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Taking advantage of those cool morning hours. We have the insulation out of our attic um, because we're getting some wiring done. Death trap. We have... Well, on one hand, yes. Uh, On the other hand, it's mostly just, oh, yeah, that's... uh, AC runs a lot less when there's insulation in the attic above the living space. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you seen uh, Enola Holmes, the Netflix film? I have not, and I really need to fire up that app I am paying a premium price for and take a look <laughs> at some content on there. It's ridiculous. You should. I have the full-blown plan in 4K streaming with Dolby Vision and Atmos, and still, I am not using it as much as I should. Enola Holmes, 2020 mystery film. And uh, essentially, uh, uh, it's based on a, a young adult fiction series by Nancy Springer. Enola Holmes is Sherlock Holmes' younger sister. Millie Bobby Brown plays Enola Holmes. Uh, Henry Cavill plays Sherlock. Oh. Uh, I won't tell you who plays their mother, but I'll give you a hint. She's staggeringly awesome, and I think you should be delighted and surprised when she pops up on screen. Because she play is just a maniac in the best possible way and someone well i i can't say anything without it being a spoiler so i'll stop right there but i mentioned that because i was putting around on netflix last week because uh well i'll just say this is from the we didn't hear that coming department and that is uh, netflix bringing immersive audio to our members around the world that was the headline for the press announcement Ooh. a while back there was a whole thing like oh you can listen to netflix spatial audio if you have the right ear from apple and now at least for some of their in-house titles uh netflix is bringing sennheiser's mbo two channel spatial audio and uh I like uh, I like some of the taglines from this. Adds exciting sound for viewers without the need for a surround system and gives full control to the re-recording mixer, um, which is good, right? So essentially, with some titles, you can search spatial audio on Netflix and get a list of titles that have the stereo tracks have been essentially re-encoded as Sennheiser Ambio two-channel spatial audio. To get the big question out of the way first, this is this is classic faux 3D spatial audio. It's a little boomy. You know, it makes everything sound 
bigger or wider than your speakers. And this is also hardware agnostic. Um, it doesn't care what you're on, you know, television speakers, tablet speakers, phone speakers, headphones, whatever. Uh, and it's also something, as far as I can tell you, cannot turn on or off. If you have a stereo device and you're listening to one of these shows, you will get the Ambio Enhanced Soundtrack. Now, and the upside, and I got to give props to Sennheiser, for this is that the encoding system they set up allows the re-recording mixer, the person that makes the decisions about how things sound, gives them the tools to tweak things so, you know, they can make it sound good to them. And I mention this because we've had a lot of spatial audio that's been applied to back catalogs through algorithms and turning perfectly good musical experiences into really sad attempts at surround sound. I want to check this out. You should, actually. I'd like to see how it processes through my TV that will, I'm willing to bet, convert everything to Dolby Atmos. Well, I'm just curious to see how the interface changes to see if the Netflix app is aware you have a Dolby Atmos device. Maybe right. it just skips that altogether. But if it knows it's just delivering stereo to a particular, yeah. say, an older TV, uh, then this could be cool as long as it's not you know say detuning the dialogue or something and making it more difficult to hear in this quest for expanded spatial audio it's just something yeah. i'd like to play with a little more and i'm glad it's more than just select apple clients and devices at this point <laughs> well so uh you know, they got a bunch of pull quotes around this, but the, the one that kind of stood out for me was uh, re-recording mixer Mark Patterson. He says he played around, I'm paraphrasing here, that he uh, experimented with Ambio on the Fear Street movies. Uh, he's also involved in the Atom Project, and he says, I was able to make this mix sound really immersive on everything from high-end sound bars to iPhones, which I believe helps the audience connect more emotionally. It's been a perfect format on Stranger Things and the Atmos Mix. Venka's voice wraps around you, which is an important part of making him scary and larger than life. The fact that Ambio is able to help recreate that in stereo is very impressive to me. So, of course, this is a guy who works for Netflix and is being quoted as part of a press program by, uh, you know, uh, I almost called Sennheiser stereophile. Uh, <laughs> Sennheiser. Uh, but essentially, right, it's nice when the people who involve in, who, who are involved in the production process actually get to tweak things. Uh, totally. hopefully to make them sound better, right? If you want to experiment with it, it's really easy. You search for spatial audio uh, in Netflix, and then it gives you titles that have. Yeah. And, and as near as I can tell, there's no A-B testing on this unless you happen to own, say, a Blu-ray of The Atom Project or something. And then you could play the Blu-ray, and then you could play the streaming version of it. But essentially, they are replacing the stereo soundtrack with the Ambio two-channel spatial audio so for stereo devices. This is not for everything. This is mostly, I think, for Netflix-created content at this point. Totally. I'm appreciative that the mixer for Netflix actually said something about this directly. I've visited yeah. their facilities, and their mixing rooms for audio are some of the most carefully designed I've been in anywhere. Mm -hmm. And typically, they're working with things like Dolby Atmos with, you know, multi-channel, multi-positional audio effects and making that sound great. And if he's able to take this technology that can be worked into basically anybody's TV uh, at price points from, you know, the lowest to the most premium and make it sound pretty decent and give you a little bit more, say, a, a wider soundstage, if nothing else, out of your current right. devices, I'm down with that. And it will encourage me to actually check this out. 
there you have it. So if you're running this on, I, I'm kind of curious, something I have not done yet, I have a laptop that has some Atmos enhancement for the speakers. What I haven't done yet is run something with Netflix's Ambio spatial audio through that to see if it kind of doubles up or if it just ignores it. You know, exactly. We've run into that in the in the past where, you know, stuff that has been spatially enhanced um, gets kind of peculiar as it's run through certain devices. So if you're running this on a you know, set of gaming headphones or laptop that does sound expansion or 3D audio or Atmos Super Audio or whatever they want to call it, I'm teasing uh, Dolby a little bit there. I'm not actually trying to be obnoxious because um, I am a... <laughs> as I look to the speakers on the ceiling over there, I'm obviously an Atmos enthusiast, but there's so many different Atmoses. In any case, yeah, email askatavxl.com. Let us know what you think. If you're listening to this, if say you saw that, you know something and you're like, hey, this is really impressive. Uh, if you think it's good, if you think it's bad, if you think it's indifferent, uh, we're curious what you have to say. Do us a favor, email askatavxl.com. Oh, yeah. I'll be running this through my Sonos Arc soundbar. And typically that thing is just spitting out Dolby Atmos all the time. And I'll be really curious right. to see how these formats in the content from Netflix, how it's being treated. I've run into previous right. problems, as we've talked about, where the TV itself is doing conversions. The soundbar is pretty much compatible with everything. And sometimes feeding it a particular format that gets, quote unquote, upconverted isn't necessarily producing the best sound experience. I'm looking forward to this a lot, just for its, uh, <laughs> its broad compatibility, if nothing else. You like broad compatibility. Yeah! Uh, HDTV test got their meters on Samsung's S95B and Sony's A95K. Their goal was to answer the question, what is the best QD OLED TV for you? How'd it go? Essentially, it's the same panel from two different companies, right? The same glass. Exactly. And this is that new QD OLED technology that gives you the amazing color performance in that OLED type display, which has your infinite contrast ratio. What was cool and what was highlighted by Mr. Vincent Tio over on the HDTV test channel is how both companies took essentially that same panel added their own flavor to it and am presenting it now to the public at large. Uh, a couple of the highlights really would be that if you are gaming, you really would consider something like a Samsung display over a Sony just for the general compatibility. Samsung has the gaming chops down, I think, better than just about mm -hmm. anyone except for maybe LG. I, I put them in about the same ballpark. However, Sony's... Uh, appreciable quality when it comes to creating a video processor and doing the most with a particular panel might be something that appeals to you more so. And what I felt this video did a really good job with was looking at what the specific tweaks were on each side of this design using that similar QD OLED panel and creating really some, I would say, uh, distinctly different targets for the audience, uh, respectively, for who these panels are good for. If you are considering buying one of these QD OLED panels today, this is the video to watch to really nail it down hmm. in terms of which one's the best for you. And it's short and sweet, and it's flavorful, and always a good view. And I appreciated it. It, was, uh, it gave me all the insights that I needed if I were choosing one over the other, uh, for this year at least. I can't really... In the end, I really cannot wait until 2023 to see what the next gen of this technology can do in terms of the new blue emitters that are supposedly coming up as highlighted on other test channels I've watched recently. And anyway, 
uh, a good review, a good overview of both panels and really what the distinct differences are between them. And if you're on the fence between, shall I go with Samsung or Sony for the QD OLED experience, this is truly the video you should check out. There you have it. Uh, Sony's VPL XW5000ES projector review got uh, their meters on it. Uh, and so the, the pitch on this, right, is it, it's an inexpensive, true 4K laser projector. You know, projector review says it's, quote, the least expensive native 4K laser projector on the market. They add that Sony cut some corners to get there, which kind of makes sense because they're trying to reach a price point, even if it's a Sony price point. Uh, that didn't prevent it from getting Projector Central's editor's choice, which is to say that the performance was excellent. Um, 2000 ANSI Lumen laser engine on this beast. That's uh, 500 lumens up from Sony's VW325ES. And this is kind of the entry level of Sony's 4K projectors, right? This is not inexpensive, uh, $6,000. So this is the baseline uh, for the projectors there. 4K laser. 4K laser, Sony X1 Ultimate for projector processing. Um, and also, I got to say, Projector Central's uh, Rob Sabin uh, does a really excellent discussion of their processing along with Sony's Dynamic HDR Enhancer. Something you should check out if you're thinking about Sony or JVC's projector, kind of like the decisions that are made and what you get from each of these companies. Part of me wants to call these mid-range projectors, but somehow five, $6,000 sounds a little high for mid, but we've also seen $50,000 and $100,000 projectors. So um, I'm not quite sure how exactly to describe that. But uh, in any case, uh, if you're thinking, if you have the budget, for a five or $6,000 projector. This is one of the ones you should be looking at. Um, UHD SXRD imagers. Uh, SXRD is Sony's silicon X-style reflective display. And it's a liquid crystal on silicon, an Elcos micro display. And the idea is that they're going to improve contrast ratios uh, by putting a layer of liquid crystal on top of a reflective surface. And I'm going to quote Sony here. The tiny gaps between the liquid crystal cells allow very little light to pass through, resulting in exceptionally deep black hues and sharp clarity. And as we know, contrast is the name of the game. This should compete directly with something like JVC's offering, where they use a similar yeah. imaging technology. And if you want to compare this directly to something like 3LCD, Typically, you'll find that that screen door effect of where you can see the individual pixels on the screen is a lot less right. with something like SXRD or liquid crystal on silicon in general compared to uh, any of the three LCD systems I've seen. However, at appropriate viewing distances, these artifacts are right. pretty minor overall. Still, this is a laser phosphor system from Sony. Sony has not taken the plunge yet into an RGB laser projector yet, at least on the consumer side. Spec-wise, you could point to some of the ultra-short-throw designs out there from companies like Hisense and Samsung, for that matter, in terms of them going full RGB and providing a color palette that exceeds the current HD spec of Rec 2020, which is right. pretty much every color we can possibly see. I have also respected Sony's ability to create, like you mentioned, a video processor with appropriate picture controls that are generally pretty easy to use. And my experience with all of the previous Sony projectors I've calibrated right. is that they tune up beautifully uh, to whatever screen you end up going with and the room environment. It doesn't matter. With projectors in general, you want the darkest room possible. Yeah. The flexibility and the quality out of Sony's projectors, even this quote-unquote entry-level laser, is going to be fantastic in the end. I have no doubt, and I really can't wait to see one in person. 
<laughs> you and me both. So uh, three chip architecture on this one, right? So you're not going to be dealing with rainbow artifact issues. Native UHD. So it's 3840 by 2160 not DCI 4K, which is 4096 by 2160, which I don't think is going to impact the vast majority of people looking at this projector. One of the things Mr. Sabin noticed is that the color gamut is not as broad as JVC's deal in ANP3 or Epson's LSA 12000. He writes, with Sony's recommended settings for the widest possible gamut, bright TV SDR, bright TV HDR mode with a color space 2 option, it hit a maximum of 84.3% DCI P3 uh, which is like 125.7% Rec. 709, 56.9% Rec. 2020. These numbers are less than what we measured for the JVC's DLNA NP5, 88.5% DCI-P3, or the Epson LS12000, which is 93.1% DCI-P3. And when you look at those percentage numbers, I mean, I know numerically I'm like, <gasps> it's it's lower, uh, significantly lower uh, than Epson's LS12000. How does that impact, you know, is that going to be obvious when you look at it side by side? Is anybody going to care in the real world? Or is it just frustrating that they're not up to, uh, you know, I mean, none of these, right, are at 100% DCI P3. No, not unless you go with something that's RGB laser at this point in time anyway. Right. And those, like I just mentioned, those two previous models specifically. This is something I don't think you would notice unless you could actually do it side by side. And then you may end up preferring the calibrated picture quality of Sony overall anyway, just for its accuracy for what it can do. I find right. at least on LCD televisions and OLED televisions, uh, those display types, the closer you can get to 100% DCI, I find it is just a more a more window-like picture. You are seeing more of the colors that you can physically see in real life. And for content that's properly authored, it is important to come as close as possible to 100% DCI if you can, let alone 100% plus of BT2020, the much larger color space that all of these formats we've talked about are, are encompassed within. Uh, so I would like to see that number bumped up a little bit. However, it's mm -hmm. also a trade-off, too. For the systems that can do these higher color saturation levels and a wider color palette, typically they sacrifice light output to do it by using stricter filters in order to achieve that. And in this case, you're dealing with probably a blue laser system going to a phosphor material that produces perhaps a yellow that is then split to red and green. So right. I would say if you notice anything on the picture overall, it would be in scenes that feature a lot of red or green in particular. And that may be where in that, say, lush jungle scene, it isn't quite as popping as it would be on other projectors out there. Got it. The same would go for red, too. And that could apply to anything from nature to skin tones to you name it. Again, though, unless you're doing this side by side, I think you would be very pleased with the image quality from this projector overall, just in terms of for what it can do within that right. color palette it has. I'm willing to bet it's more accurate than any of the previous projectors I've just mentioned. <laughs> I have more uh, faith in what Sony can do than just about any other manufacturer in terms of producing a beautiful calibration. Something that's uh, worth noting if you're thinking about spending uh, a fair amount of coin on a projector is. Uh, you know, it's not exactly unusual. There's no HDR10 plus support on this projector. One of the big corners they cut uh, to get to that price point is there is a manual lens on this beast, which I, uh, you know, I have my note here is not so hot. Head over to Projector Central and read up on it. Good review. Definitely worth considering if you're in that price range. Um, 
you know, along with the JVC and Epson's LSA 12,000, uh, definitely read uh, Sabin's review if you're thinking about spending this much money on a projector because there's a bunch to be learned there. So, Sonos Ray Chuffing. What's the word on that? <laughs> chuffing. The good folks over at What Hi-Fi discovered during their review of the Sonos Ray was that with specific frequencies, particularly in the low end, it would trigger an artifact called chuffing within the bass response. And Sonos was able to reproduce this and have since released a firmware fix that apparently oh, wow. smoothed it out quite nicely. However, it is something I would like to actually play around with, and it's something I will be more critical of going forward, is in these ported speaker designs, right. what frequency specifically and what content is most likely to cause something like that artifact? I need to become more familiar with the chuffing artifact, so to speak, but it's just good <laughs> so, well, to see that Sonos is right on top of it, and at least if you find something wrong with one of their speakers, their engineers will dive into it and do their best to rectify it as quickly as possible. And that seems to be the case here. It changed their overall opinion of the speaker in the long run, which was good to see yeah. them actually follow up on a review like that. And it's good news overall. But I am, uh, yeah, I need to learn more about the chuff. Ported subwoofer. You have a box, you have a tube. The tube is, you know, essentially mathematically engineered to work with the specs of the subwoofer and the box size. And the idea is that you're going to, you know, kind of extend the low end range on that. And chuffing, I've heard at least one person describe it as overdriving the port. But essentially, uh, if you have too much air trying to shove through the port, it's usually when you get chuffing. And it's usually something associated with cheap subwoofers uh, that are being overdriven it's when you get into large movements of air. So the fix for this may have been as simple as isolating the frequencies where the port was chuffing and then literally turning the volume down, so to speak, uh, at those specific frequency ranges. You can also change the diameter of the port or the length of the port uh, to alter the speed of the air as it moves through the port. But that's probably not practical. Um, right. <laughs> a little late for that. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so Maybe for the Sonos Ray 2, they might go with a different design there. But this is something I would like to experiment with. I, I need to get a hold of one of the Rays. and uh, Although at this point, the fix is already out. So if, as soon as you set it up, it's just going to... Go ahead and update it Fix for itself. you. And yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was just something I like to see from any manufacturer. When when issues yeah. are discovered, the quote-unquote big problem has been fixed. It's nice. I was thinking about that as I was dealing with somebody who had a router that had issues. Uh, that, and the router had never received an update. So Actually, sad. I ran into something, uh, a weird uh, low-frequency issue with the Sonos Arc when it first came out. Uh -huh. That was eventually corrected through... A firmware update as well yeah. and it's turned out to be one of my favorite soundbar products of all time for the money still uh, anyway good news for the the ray owners and considering the size of the sonos ray a relatively small speaker that i'm assuming yeah. that when they try to enhance bass in a product like that through ports and designs uh chuffing can become an issue and it's it's just one of those things that's in the back of my mind now and i will be uh, more critical of that and looking for it and listening for it in the future with any speaker you can find product. a subwoofer you can make chuff so you're familiar with it yes <laughs> i'm gonna do a little googling a little later today oh my goodness and people in the uk are like it's not what chuff means we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> yeah <later."> um <laughs> there are advantages to 
professional gear, high-end gear, uh, exotic gear, uh, small companies that are dedicated to customer service, really small companies that are dedicated to customer service. I was thinking about that. Bryston has announced their Back to the Future Vintage Amplifier Restoration Program. And uh, if you're not familiar with Bryston, let me put this into context. Bryston is a Canadian amplifier manufacturer. Back in the day, years and years ago, they would be installed in radio stations, movie theaters and stuff. Um, excellent performance and a 20-year factory warranty, right? And nice. uh, to people in the know, they're, they're still very popular, very similar to my beloved ATI amps. They're fairly indestructible from the start. Uh, if anything, they are overbuilt. Bryston's 2B SST uh, you know, this is a 100 watt amplifier that drops 100 watts into 8 ohms, 180 watts into 4 ohms, and if you put it in monoblock mode, it'll do 350 watts. So, to make things simpler for people who have owned these or have purchased these used, they have uh, their Back to the Future program. And there's three tiers. Tiers one's electrical, where they go through all the electrical and mechanical functions. And they replace any parts that are messed. This is not inexpensive, but if you look at the prices of these amplifiers new, uh, it starts looking like a bargain. It's $1,000 for an electrical checkup. Tier two is the cosmetic Quote, cosmetic upgrade includes a reworked faceplate, top, and handles. This involves a total refinishing of the current hardware of a vintage amplifier. Does not include chassis, back panel, or heat sinks, i.e. the parts you don't see at the front. Uh, and they say their technicians will do their best to fix dents, imperfections, bends, etc. That's $600. And uh, so basically, they're going to pull the faceplate off and clean up or replace the faceplate on that. If you start searching for Bryston ads, you'll often find these things have obviously been road hard and put away wet because <laughs> it's not unusual right. to see a perfectly functional amp that looks like it was used to hammer in tent pegs or dropped out of a, you know, a, a touring rack or something. And then tier three is the output devices where they, uh, uh, they replace the power transistors with the quote, most recent applicable power devices. And that's $400. On one hand, this sounds expensive. On the other hand, if you look at the cost of having an electronics repair facility, you know, work on your gear, it is not going to be that outrageous. There's a place here in St. Louis uh, that I haven't had a chance to work with yet that uh, they occasionally, I found out about them because they post gear on Craigslist for sale that they've, they've fixed. But if you start looking at the cost of new gear versus having it restored, or if you're curious about the performance of the gear you have, or if you're looking for, you know, I've mentioned this in the past, uh, replacement drivers, you know, a lot of smaller boutique size organizations will have parts or the ability to have your gear repaired long into the future. You know, I've got a $300 amplifier over here that has some of the finest measurements I've ever seen of an amplifier for any amount of money. But if it breaks, I'm basically buying another $300 amplifier. And that always kind of drives me insane. The other side story to this is if you see a Bryston 2B or 4B or whatever at Craigslist or garage sale, it's probably worth buying. Yeah. So. <laughs> I hope if somebody goes for this service and actually sends their gear back to Bryston that when they do the tier one, two or three or all three, if you really want to go right. not so with it. I hope they actually put a tag or something on it to indicate that it came back to us at some point. Here's the date right. it was done. A little yeah. badge of some kind, just to show that. I think that would be pretty cool. And like you it mentioned, too, cool. with electronics repair in general, if you want to see something kind of how the industry has changed overall, is take a look at anybody who does television repair. Uh, if you can find anybody <laughs> still willing to even touch in LCD television nowadays right. with a problem of just about any kind. 
the trend on YouTube, at least as far as I see lately, with the people who create videos about this kind of content, right. is that they no longer even look at LCD panels. They're just like, forget it. Uh, if you can get the parts, uh, just the time and the effort it takes to get it apart, and unless you're doing it yourself with all the associated right. risks, it's just cheaper to end up going out and buying a brand new product at that right. point. So I'm, It's frustrating. It's frustrating. But for uh, a quality amp with a quote-unquote 20-year well, warranty, or at least a factory yeah. warranty, and this kind of an upgrade process where if you had a classic device and you need, say, just the guts or you want the cosmetics enhanced or the, the particular output receptacles and whatnot taken yeah. care of, they give you good options for doing any of that. It's just nice to see. Bryson.com slash service dash and dash warranty. Bryson Analog Audio products and loudspeakers are warranted to be free from manufacturing defects for 20 years from the original date of manufacture. The warranty includes parts and labor. Speaker warranty is limited to the first-time buyer. It is non-transferable. Um, so, you know, it's like high-quality power amps will last decades. You know, assuming you don't, you somehow manage to plug it into a 240 amp connection or, or you know. Spray a bottle of champagne over it. it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> take an underpowered amplifier and try to drive a two ohm subwoofer in it. You know, these are bad things you should not do. Um, but a, you know, a decent amp can last halfway to forever. And when I say decent, I can, I can also say things that were not that expensive. You know, that are twenty years old. Um, you know, some older amps kind of suck. Some older amps are amazing. You know, but the nice thing about it, if you have quality amplifiers, you can you know swap sound processors or use the preamp outputs from an AVR as the technologies change in your home theater. Not that dedicated surround sound processors are cheap, but uh, it gives you some options. You know, especially if you have some difficult to drive speakers and you bought some serious power amplification to drive your difficult speakers it's nice to be able to you know keep those running indefinitely indeed indeed hey i want to give a, a quick shout out to some of our patrons we started doing this uh I don't know, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, not too far in the past. If you don't know what Patreon is, patreon.com slash AVXL. Basically, we ask you to make monthly contributions to the show. You get early access to the show. You get access to some of the other stuff we do at certain tier levels. For example, there's monthly hangouts with Rob and I. Uh, if you have ideas for things you'd like us to do as patrons, do us a favor, uh, email askitavxl, or better yet, become a patron and message us on patreon.com slash AVXL. But uh, a lot of you have been around for a while, and we want to thank you, and we want to give a shout-out to you. And this week, we're going to give a shout out to Tim Jar, Michael Swift, Phil Fox, David Pick, Oren Dix, and Dale Mulcahy, who all started supporting us between August and September of 2016. Thank you for Indeed. your patronage and your continued patronage. We appreciate that. Hey, uh, quick shout out. It may not be running by the time you get it, uh, but there was a prime deal for Amazon Music Unlimited, four months free, and they have a pretty gigantic collection of HD audio if you're kind of curious about experimenting with that. It is $9 per month after the trial ends, and they will automatically kick you into charging you $9 a month uh, once the trial ends. But if it's still available, four months free of any streaming service is a pretty sweet deal. Um, they have a very, very broad selection. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, I do most of my listing on Spotify and Kobuz, but it is something worth checking out, especially if that deal is still available. Excellent. 
A quick shout out to our friend Jeffrey Morrison. He used to write for the Wirecutter. Uh, he does a lot of travel writing. He has a YouTube channel around that, which is worth checking out. Uh, he's now writing about televisions for the Wall Street Journal, who is putting together their own sort of Wirecutter buying guide system called How to Shop for a TV. Uh, I am quoted in that briefly. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Very nice. It's good to see him back talking about televisions and stuff. And when his tour de force, his incredible adventure gets up his latest adventures get posted up on youtube we'll give you a shout out on that one Ooh, i'm checking out those how to buy a tv i am appreciating all of the recommendations in that article actually including that qn 900b from samsung which is gloriously expensive but holy crap that is by far the most impressive tv i've seen this year in terms of just its presence and its light output and its color capability <laughs> it's a Pretty sweet piece of kit. But he also has some more affordable options, clearly, as well, in that. And what to look for when shopping. All good stuff. I do appreciate it. And I'd give a quick shout-out, too, uh, quickly. Uh, Tyler, a.k.a. The Antenna Man, on YouTube. He does a lot of over-the-air reception for either outdoor systems or indoor mm -hmm. antenna systems and the appropriate equipment to use with this, what brands of TVs feature the best tuners, lots of that kind of information. He recently did a review of Channel Master's very affordable flat antenna design, and he came away very impressed with it just in terms of comparing it to some of the value products you'll find in your regular shopping spaces. In particular, cool. Channel Master just does a good job with providing appropriate cables and decent performance that actually outperformed other products in a, in a uh, even more expensive ones than what Channel Master was offering. I love Channel Master, and it was just <laughs> good to see Tyler, a.k.a. the Antenna Man, actually put his stamp of approval on that as well. And considering nice. the number of stations are slowly starting to grow, featuring that ATSC 3.0 technology, uh, it's good if you've never played around with over-the-air reception. It is something to consider to add to the the bag of tricks your TV can do besides, you know, streaming services and other things like that. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. I like streaming services. I, yeah, I do, but, too. Uh, I do, too. But I also appreciate live TV, uh, especially the over-the-air variety for that cost of nothing other than... <laughs> A relatively affordable antenna, if you have Nothing to, is good. If you can make that work. Good points. If you got a question for us, do us a favor, email Ask at AV Excel. Uh, your questions help guide the program and tell us what we need to talk more about or less about. So email us, ask us a question, or send us a suggestion or something you want to share with the uh, AV Excel audience. Please. You can tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at AV Excel. Next week, we're probably going to be talking about how to find a television calibrator because that came up on the Twitters oh, yeah. this week. It should yeah. be easier to do. You know, save it for yeah. next week, sir. I will. <laughs> I'm preparing With for that, ladies and gentlemen. Formula One oh. race this weekend. I got to get my, my mindset proper. Get your F1 on, man. If you are interested in all in F1, I'd go back and watch the race before last. There was an accident that occurred on the very first lap that demonstrated that not only are these cars as safe as possible, but sometimes the very last thing that's going to save one of those cars from flying into the audience surrounding the track is that last catch fence. It was just good to see all of that work. 
it's like normally the car should never make it that far in a in a critical event, <laughs> but it the did. The car is supposed to stay on the track, and there were people literally twenty feet away from that fence, and that fence got bent, and that vehicle flew into it, and everyone walked away, and uh, that's something you typically don't see very often these days. And anyway, <sighs> it was exciting, added to the drama for sure, but. Damn. I'm just glad nobody got killed. Just a catch um, fence catch. That's like, what the hell? <laughs> that does not happen off the track. That, you're way, yeah, no, you're way off the track. It's, it's not like the 70s with NASCAR where they were like, we've got street automobiles that were barely engineered to be aerodynamic at 60 miles an hour. There were several safety mechanisms that the car had already either went through or dealt with. And then finally, that fence was the very last thing. And that, that car went airborne and got into it. It was like those people in the front row had probably one of the scariest moments of just like, hey, uh, that better work. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it's, oh it's they can get nuts. Uh, Emmy season is upon us, and I'm sure there will be all sorts of controversy and mayhem. But uh, the rough numbers out there, 108 nominations for HBO, 105 Ooh. nominations for Netflix, 58 for Hulu, 52 for Apple, 34 for Disney+, Plus, 30 for Amazon, 32 for HBO Max, and the list goes on and on and on. Two series uh, my wife and I fell in love with this uh, year, or maybe last year, whenever they started back in the day. Uh, HBO Succession had 25 nominations. Wow. Apple's Ted Lasso and HBO's The White Lotus got 20 nominations each. HBO Max's Hacks, which is awesome, got 17 noms. Uh, Hulu's Only Murders in the Building uh, also got 17 nominations, right? Um, so it seems like a short list of programs got a lot of nominations. And things you've mentioned prior, too. So I have to say, your choice of programming to watch on this variety <laughs> of streaming sources is uh, good recommendations, man. I try. I try to only bring up the really good stuff or the really cheesy stuff. I was laughing, though, uh, that there's this paragraph in here where they added up the nominations by conglomerate. Warner Brothers Discovery had 155 wow. Emmys. When you add in Discovery Plus and CNN, amongst others, uh, Disney got 141 if you include ABC, Hulu, and FX. Uh, Paramount Global got 75 across CBS, Paramount Plus, Comedy Central, and VH1. So I found that highly amusing. <laughs> the consolidation is crazy. Just crazy. Yeah, it is. With that, ladies and gentlemen, this time we're really ending it. Yeah. I'm Patrick Gordon. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.